Now, Syrah. Ah, Syrah. How many times on the call this morning did we hear the word unsustainable? Jeez, it didn't read too well, did it, Trav? Mate, it was a, um, it was a shocker. We, we just had a phone call. Can I, can I sum up what I feel that conversation was? Because I, I, thought, I thought it was going to be recorded, but uh, it was like having the best route of your life, but not getting off at the end. You can you go can... whenever you want. I can go whenever I want, okay? <clears throat> G'day, money miners. Welcome back. It is Tuesday, July 18th, 2023. We've got JD in the house. We've got Trav Ricciardo and Matt is off wheeling and dealing. Boys. What have you got for us today? Who are you? <laughs> Just, I won the raffle, so I get to do the intro. We have a fill-in host, hey? Well, at the moment, Money of Mine is sending out, you can buy a raffle ticket, and if you win, you're on the show. You do the intro. So this lucky customer picked up a raffle ticket for $500, and she won the right to do the intro. And that's the best $500 I've ever spent. Is well it, done, mate. This is all our right, monetization well, strategy. I like it. <laughs> That's all I've got for money and mining. I will see you all. See you all later. Hang on, hang on. Who are you? You got to introduce yourself, Fred. <laughs> um, I work here in the incubator at the. Uh, it's Money of Mine HQ. Yeah, at Money of Mine HQ. Um, I do my work from here. Some days I hang around. I drink your coffee. Um, and sometimes I talk about mining. <laughs> sometimes. Uh, okay. Well, is, is that all? Is that all we need from me? You're supposed to give a bit of a, a sneak peek on what's to come in the show. Uh, what's to come in the show? Also, I mean, if you're going to fill in for Maddie, there needs to be a few knee slappers as tell well. You. Because I have no idea what you're going to talk about today. <laughs> JD works behind me, tip taps away in his keyboard, and I don't really understand any of it. Well, I can fill in the money miners. We've got a bit of Leo Lithium. Oh, we do. Sarah? Is it Sarah or Syrah? Syrah? Sarah? It's one or the other. We'll find out soon enough. Thanks, co-host. And we've got Olkem. Olkem. All right, beautiful, mate. Uh, well, yeah, we've got a, yeah, a few stories to talk through today. Um, we, we're at the start of quarterly reporting season, so there's, there's, there's some early birds hitting the, uh, hitting, the, hitting the announcements with the quarterlies, JD. But other than that, we've got a few lithium stories to talk to. And, uh, yeah, Syrah. Syrah. The, the graphite underperformance. That's right. the big one today. Where should we start, mate? I think we kick it off with Leo Lithium. Okay, so... Well, we don't have too much to work from here, do we? Trading halt, but yeah, pending a further announcement uh, as it sort of relates to their dealings with the government of Mali mm-hmm. regarding the plans to produce DSO, which is meant to be happening pretty pretty soon, isn't it? Yeah, and so that's that's the the wording in the in the trading halt announcement. Um, they've got they've received some correspondence from the government of Mali, so you know we're kind of watching to see what this manifests into. Um, I think you know. Shout out to Mondi on on Twitter who who pointed it out to to me that uh, actually the the former Malian mines minister was a guy called Lamine Sado Traore, and and he was um, actually forced to tender his resignation there on the thirty first of May. Uh, there were a bunch of power cuts across Mali, which um, fell into his his sort of wheelhouse, and uh, he might have been the scapegoat for for some of that backlash. Uh, but he was also then found to have tens of thousands of euros in cash at an airport in Paris. However, why does this matter? The new um, mines minister in Mali has uh, just started the job there. And so maybe there's um, a bit of a, a difference in opinion given the previous one pledged his support for the project in December. Yeah, it's not not that uncommon that you see a sort of change in regime, a change in rule in some of these countries. And, you know, you start seeing... 
terms renegotiated and we'll touch a bit on that more later because there was some news coming out of Mali, some sort of rumblings that local and state interests might want to up their interests. But just regarding the DSO plans, we touched on how imminent that was at Gulamina. So they've actually started mining there already. The company flagged late last month that crushing and all the, the equipment was performing well. Things were, you know, up and running. They were pretty imminent to announcing the appointment of a trucking contractor to, to truck from Gulamina the thousand odd kilometres to the port. And, that's, and the, that's the big uncertainty with this project is the, the trucking logistics, right? When people have, have question marks over, over yeah, Leo. Yeah, yeah. We, it's something we'd flagged before. They, they have posted some pretty good, you know, footage. They've tried to assure the market that it's all covered. They've got three possible routes, but they're looking at that, that one heading south. They're still looking as of late last month to confirm the, um, the port authority that they have the, the rights to send out the, the spodumene ore. But it, it all looked like it was coming together quite quite quickly, you know, and they were planning to get first revenue in quarter four of this calendar year. So going back to that mining code news, news had sort of surfaced from, I think Reuters first reported that Malian authorities were looking to up the stakes that they have. So currently Malian state interests sit at about 10%. They have the right to get another 10%, but they want that to sort of, I mean, it's all pretty opaque at the moment, but they want that to potentially start at a 15% clip of mining projects in the country and could result into 20 to 35% stakes in these projects. So it's kind of par for the course in West Africa, but we'll see how that, how that sort of plays out there. Boys, sorry, I'm bloody late. This is like a, a, a mid-show entrance. Coming in hot. I've been bloody, uh, I've been, uh, what do we call it? Business development. Wheeling and dealing. Business development. Love it. Jeez, so, we might have a sponsor. We love it. Yeah, so we've just, we've just What's going up, on? We've just wrapped up Leo Lithium, mate. So yeah. trading halt, pending further announcement. We'll have to sort of see. I'm, I'm quite what was, keen. What was the... Um, What's it pending? Did they give no, much mate, colour No, mate, you're going to have to re-listen to the bloody show. We're not going to repeat it for <laughs> the money mines. Come on, help it out. What was it? Just Capital, a, capital just raise, Just fees? a trading halt pending a announcement uh, that in negotiation with the government of Mali relating to their direct shipping or so their DSO. Mm. So we'll sort of have to see how that plays out. Just a trading halt at the moment. Now, Syra. Ah, Syra. I'm very, I'm very interested in this one, mate. The uh, the graphite producer, Sarah. Mm, so we both listen to the graphite team um, at the moment, JD. You yeah. covered it a bit yesterday. Yeah, coming from a coming from a low base with my graphite knowledge, but um, we both listened to the quarterly call this morning. We both read the quarterly, and geez, it didn't read too well, did it, Trav? Mate, it was a um, it was a shocker. Like, there's no other way yeah, to, to, to put, put it put lightly. It. It was stocks down twelve percent intraday already. Um, it's pretty, yeah, a yeah. Pr- pretty horrific one. But the thing that just stood out to me more than anything else is that quote that they'd reached maximum inventory um, and and hence halted production for the last two months of the quarter, and they only produced at fifty percent for, for the first month of the quarter. Yeah, it, it doesn't stack up. So you're three months in the quarter, obviously. You're the first month they're producing at fifty percent capacity, and then you switch the thing off for the next two and. You're at max inventory level. It's uh, it doesn't read too well. So they make it somewhat hard in the in the first couple of pages to see how the actual financial performance played out. You can see C1 costs, those direct mining costs of 565 US dollars a ton. Sales price was uh, 688 dollars a ton. 
But if you actually flick into the the actual quarterly, the financials, operating cash flow negative US twenty nine and a half million for the quarter. Wow, for the quarter, and I mean just. Just look at the actual receipts from the customers, right? Mate, that, that's staggering, right? Only only 9.6 million receipts from customers versus 40 million in production and staff costs. Um, so, you know, it's, that explains why you have that negative operating cash flow, but it's all about, you know, no one's buying the product. Well, China's not buying the product. Exactly. And then on the investing cash flow, which is, you know, very real, you know, these CapEx expenses have to go on the ground. They're, they're building up the... Um, Vida Lia expansion at the moment, which is going to cost them 190 million US. So investing cash flows were negative 30.7 million US dollars for the quarter. And yeah, like, like I said, that, that expansion, 190 all up, that's now up 8% since they made the final investment decision there. And 127 million US of the 190 has been spent already. So it's not looking too good. At the end of the quarter, they had 109 US in cash, and that includes 55 million US, which is sort of associated with a loan from the Department of Energy, the, the US Department of Energy, that is. It's been a, you look at the 10 year chart for Sarah, it looks like the bloody, the French Alps. It's, uh, <laughs> she's been a, she's been a rocky ride. They've had a bit yeah. of a, bit of a comeback in the last three years, but it has been all just blown out yeah. um, at the start of this year. They're pretty much, they're well under halved. So yeah. it looks like a lot of downward pressure on them at the moment. Yeah, they've had a tough year of late. Let's talk about the, the market conditions because as we've touched on in the past, graphite's pretty opaque and you've obviously got the synthetic stuff and you've got the natural, natural rather. Sierra obviously being in the business of natural and a lot of the synthetic stuff sort of coming out of China. And there were a lot of interesting quotes in the quarterly report as well as on the call this, this morning, this is the what thing sort of that stood I was, out to you, Trav? Yeah, well, this is the bit that I was really interesting to because you know, we talked about the, the, the minimus receipts from customers there. So something's going wrong with the market. Um, you know, big, big inventory not producing. So the market is what's driving performance here. So that's, that's what I was, you know, really curious about. The things that super stood out to me was the narrative that was being paved by Cyrus management team and that that narrative was ultimately that uh, Chinese companies in China, they're engaging in loss-making activities on the production of the uh, synthetic graphite. Um, you know, my, my read-through was potentially to, to suppress prices intentionally um, and that's, you know, put significant pricing pressure in the downstream anode market. They've seen the entry of new artificial capacity at lower prices. Um, they reference lower coke, lower power prices and that moved costs lower for those synthetic players in China. That competition um, has led to high volumes, and, and this is the interesting bit, at or below the cost of production. Yeah, uh, I'd completely echo what you said there. How many times on the call this morning did we hear the word unsustainable? It, they, and that wasn't just in reference to what these prices are doing to their own business, but they were you know, implying, if not outwardly saying, that the Prices are unsustainable for even the, the Chinese producers as well. It's the first time in history, you know, according to Cyrus Management, that the artificial graphite prices have converged to natural prices. So, yeah, wow. So the artificial to natural, is it? does it function exactly the same? There's just the ESG component of it? Uh, there, What's the gut? No, there are, there are differences. I'm not a graphite market expert, full disclaimer. I think like one thing that's worth considering though is with um with the synthetic graphite you actually end up with less variability in your final product 
all that sort of stuff matters, right? So, um, so, you, so the synthetic is more reliable. Well, yeah, can, was, can be more reliable. Can be. You, you might even be able to blend it for for optimal kind of outcomes. But yeah, I mean, like there's there's a um, a whole suite of of parameters that go into what makes um, good flake. Maddie, this this quote might stand out to you from from the quarterly today. It was buried in God, like the eighth page or something. The intensive competition amongst new and incumbent synthetic graphite AAM, so active anode material producers, has driven the utilization of higher sulfur input materials and shorten the graphitization processing cycle times leading con- to concerns from the battery manufacturers over the product quality and questions regarding the sustainability sustainability of current prices so they're sort of implying that you know the the quicker the process than everything that's being done does actually lead to a lower quality product Mm, yeah, right. So it's so it's sort of similar, but essentially inverted in a way to to nickel. There's there's two, these two different pricing streams. There's class one and class two nickel, but the graphite is actually the other way. The the synthetic appears to be more reliable. I think they're substitutable. So like that's the difference between class one, class two nickel. You can't substitute one for the other. In this case, you can literally substitute synthetic for natural. So yeah, yeah. There are there are a few other things that that stood out. <clears throat> Sort of in particular relating to what the company refers to as like Chinese market behaviour. Obviously, a lot of this comes from Chinese producers. So, Sierra stated that the Chinese anode production was up 9% quarter on quarter and up 25% year on year. That's pretty substantial for a commodities supply to be up 25%. And, you know, in quotes, with significant additional synthetic graphite AAM production. The company then also went on to state that you can have short-term demand and supply imbalances as a result of chunky orders from, you know, battery makers, auto automakers, as well as competing supply. And then Sarah went on to sort of point the finger at minimal visibility that they have from AAM inventory levels in China, which leads to sort of sudden and unanticipated impacts in, in the pricing of the product, which ultimately led to them putting a production on pause at um, Balama. There was one other thing they uh, went on to say. Aggressive pricing saw synthetic graphite AAM volumes increase in late 22 and into 2023 as the new entrants sought market share to allow production continuity to demonstrate the quality product to the battery manufacturers and operating reliability. So just sort of really trying to muscle their way into the market, even if that's loss-making for a while and win market share at the cost of some of their competitors. Shady, I'm, I'm curious to... to get your perspective on the um, the parallels between this stock and Jevoir in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, they, they both seem to me like uh, companies where they produce a, a commodity that has an opaquely traded market where China has outsized influence on, on the pricing, Absolutely. the pricing that market. Um, both have been hit pretty hard amid, you know, weaker commodity price dynamics yeah. um, and demand and both have had, you know, High, high inventory, um, you know, pretty, pretty um, horrific sort of shareholder, uh, pretty horrific share price impact to their to their share prices as, as a result of that. Uh, and I think both of them kind of fit the theme of having some sort of exciting element about the fact that they might be able to be a strategically important asset to the West, given the concentration of the market in China, but 
right now they're really just suffering from um, the tumultuous cash flow dynamics because you know that their, their only customer for the time being is mate. I couldn't agree and more. They, and they, they haven't lived up to the battery metals thematic. Like you rewind three years ago, they were thinking right, graphite, cobalt, they're all going to be needed. These companies just haven't lived haven't lived up to it, and market conditions appear to have changed. Yeah, I mean, commodity business. You're relying on commodity prices. The that's not where the sort of commonalities end either. They've both got funding from US government entities, one from uh, Jeff Wire getting funding from the Department of Defence and Syrah in this case getting funding from the Department of Energy. So the- Both also got funding from Super. <laughs> Ooh. There you go. So, yeah, it's really that ex-China interest that's super fascinating and whether it's sort of viable because they both seem to be higher cost producers, don't they? So Syrah did sort of flag... They, they spoke about the Inflation Reduction Act, which we've sort of alluded to quite a bit on the show. We find fascinating the impact that that's going to have on markets. And both of the companies sort of imply that they they would kind of like to see a bifurcation in these commodity prices or that a bifurcation in these commodity prices where they get a bit of a premium for being ex-China throughout the whole supply chain would be super, super beneficial to them. So Sarah in the call today, they did reference production like downstream production facilities potentially being built in you know ex-china locations i.e sort of korea japan and that these facilities would then in turn obviously need ex-chinese feedstock so that's where syrah could you know slot themselves in and have a completely you know non-chinese aligned supply chain which would then be available to the automakers and the end consumer could receive all the available credits and um from purchasing, say, uh, Tesla or whatever it is that is completely non-Chinese aligned. So it's sort of fascinating how that plays out in the future. It's very hard to say at this point. Yeah. But obviously both those stocks are in quite a quite a difficult position, aren't totally. they? Super high risk right now. They're literally campaign mining, right? That's how, um, how little demand they're experiencing. Yeah. So, um, so that like, you know, that's like you can take that long-term outlook and think – these assets have strategic relevance in the future and they might be able to sell their product for a higher price than they current than they ever will to China and there'll be these two different price points, China and then rest rest of the world or whatever. But it doesn't mean you should buy the shares because um, heck at the moment they're pretty vulnerable to that Chinese Chinese demand. You've got to be in the game in in that many years' time to be a to be a winner. And I mean the the whole sort of tone of the call was pretty downbeat today. Mm. It, it wasn't positive at all. And there were times where they're, you know, look like they're throwing everything in the, the kitchen sink out. They're talking at every single aspect of costs. They're talking about, you know, trying to do more solar because diesel has been very high in Mozambique. They're, you know, cutting staff. They're freezing, hiring. They're doing everything they can to keep costs down. Well, maybe and they should be focusing on, um, on, on revenue instead of costs, mate, because uh, I saw this tweet from Ian Zhang and uh, he commented that, meanwhile, they have no sales at email. I reached out to their general email because... We had a lead who needed flakes urgently. That was 1,000 tonne spot order plus potential long-term offtake. Guess they weren't interested. Got zero clue how an interested buyer could reach them at all. So maybe they should stop focusing on costs and, and uh, pick up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it goes both ways. We touched on that operating cash flow section and both looked like they were in uh, dire need of help. What are we leading back in there with, Trav? Mate, we, we were just bloody talking about Syrah and then um, we, we just had a phone call with on Twitter who talks a lot about the graphite market and um can I can I sum up what I feel that conversation was because I, I thought yeah, I thought it to. was going to be recorded but 
he said, oh, no, we'll keep this off air for the moment. So it was like having the best route of your life but not getting off at the end. <laughs> That's how I, uh, I thought it was going up. He says, oh, no, I don't want it up. I'm like, fuck, damn, because it was such a good chat. It's great. A lot of takeaways, hey. Well, I mean, yeah, it's I'm, a complex market. He, 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 this is a, a guy who spent a shitload of time, I'm, I'm imagining, um, studying the market. I don't and I think he comes at it with a, you know, a lens of um, I'll just work harder and, than anyone else trying to, trying to learn about it. What were your takeaways, JD, just the insight that we got from him? To, on the surface, it, it almost goes in the too hard bucket, doesn't it? This is a super, super complex market. Variable. One, Variability. One of, the, yeah, and one of the key takeaways is, you know, it's not just like gold pricing, you know. You have – Different, you know, natural synthetic. Then you have different flake size, you know, is it 100 microns or whatever. And there's a whole bunch of different products. And then the other key takeaway is sort of the tuning of the, the mine into the processing and how it, even if you do it with a, a smaller scale, you know, a pilot plant versus a bigger plant, you can get a, a variable outcome, you know, and that's not what a, a battery maker or whoever wants, you know. You need... You need that consistency with these products and it makes it sort of very hard to to scale up and capture a lot of the supposed value on top of the opaque pricing. And yeah. to even bigger plants, two different bigger plants can give two different yeah. products. And the and he's saying that the time to get the tuning and the qualification period. The qualification takes period time. Yeah. is like two, years. three years. Yeah. 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 So the 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 key message is that he just doesn't want shareholders to get roasted buying into the wrong stocks because everyone well not everyone but there's definitely a narrative out there that graphite is the next lithium but no one really recognizes in that you know just one sentence word how opaque and variable this market is it's um it sounds like like just even the the um the benchmark intelligence and all of the price reporting um and market you know analysts they are um at their core, potentially still don't quite understand the dynamics that are happening uh, within China themselves. Even you saw it in, in Cyrus commentary today, they don't even have good insight into what the stockpiles are at, the, at these Chinese um, buyers as well. So like the the variability in product is enormous depending on the ore, depending on the processing, like dynamics of the downstream bit, the, the coding, et cetera. Um, it just sounds like pretty tricky, but there's a fuck ton of carbon which is what graphite is out there um but yeah looks like there's a lot of a lot of uh juniors on the asx which you know might might be more hype than substance when it comes to actually getting something there are some out there that that um of, of favorably but but at the same time looks pretty tricky a lot mm. of big buyer beware yeah to be put on it yeah and how the sort of you know eastern companies often look at their inventory levels or the, the pricing data that they have as that's IP to them. You know, it's very different from how we look at things in the West. And yeah, to your point, Trav, on this sort of notion that it could just be the next lithium, you've got to scratch, you know, beneath the surface and dig into it a bit more. It's not, you know, it's, it's not, it's never that easy. So yeah, I think we'll leave it at that and definitely keen to have him on for a more in-depth chat with the money miners. God, how much will we have to pay him to just let us release what he told us? <laughs> Fucking brilliant. <laughs> oh. All chem guys. Did you guys catch this one? 
I uh, I didn't, mate, but I, I you know, so you put it in the show notes. I stopped paying attention to them because I just know they're doing that merger with a bigger company. I'm like, oh, I've lost interest. Yeah. I, I'd sort of felt that way and I wasn't going to talk about it, but I thought it was pretty interesting. So it's first production at Olaroz Stage 2. Now, that's their brine project in the Argentinian part of the Lithium Triangle. Um, so, yeah, Stage 2, up and running. They added 15 extra brine wells, 31 evaporation ponds, three lime plants and a bit more infrastructure. We'll chuck up a photo. It looks, it looks pretty neat. So this stage two has 25,000 tonnes per annum lithium carbonate nameplate capacity. And now that it's, you know, had that first production, we'll sort of see production volumes and the quality ramp up. So stage one and two together have 42,500 tonnes per annum lithium carbonate production. And of that, 9.5 thousand tonnes per annum goes from Argentina to Japan. So Allchem have a JV with TTC, which is Toyota, and that's the Naraha, not sure if I'm saying that right, lithium hydroxide plant in Japan. So that's where they'll turn this, what they call primary grade lithium carbonate into a battery grade lithium hydroxide. So it's a sort of conversion plant to capture a bit more of the downstream value. And then of course, this is just sold onto the battery and finally the automaker's in Japan, all up, it's a it's a pretty positive announcement, you know, and it's it's kind of interesting to look at the stock. Obviously, you mentioned the M and A activity. We saw lithium prices from about November in 2022, so November last year, come off. They're about half that level now. They they sort of bottomed out in May, and they've ticked up a bit since then. But you look at stocks like Allchem, and you look at stocks like Liontown, and they're both above the peaks that they saw when lithium prices were double what they are today. So obviously it's on the on the back of M&A activity. These yeah. guys obviously tied up in that merger with Liven and then the the bids that had been announced relating to Liontown. But yeah, it's mm. just it's just sort of interesting to see because a lot of these companies just trade on the back of whatever the commodity price does, but in Liontown's case there's been what four upgrades in the in the cost of building Kathleen Valley. These yeah. go, I mean, all came to a bit of a different story, but Liontown's capturing that security of, security of supply sort of premium, which mm. which translated into the yeah the M and A offers. That's a big it's a big operation. So what's that? So what you say? Forty two thousand ton of lithium carbonate yeah, coming out of it. Fair. So that's what that's as just as big as the as Kathleen Valley. So I think because I think Kathleen Valley was seven hundred thousand ton of spodumene at what five and a half percent. So that gives you thirty seven and a half thousand. So it's that's a lot of bloody lithium coming out of there. Big operation. I think I've done the math right. <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word on that math, mate. We'll run with it. Yeah, sounds good, mate. Hooteru, guys. Oh, Hooteru, oh, Bruce Struth on. wants to come back in for a hooteru. Hang on, hang on. Cheers for start, subbing in, Struth. You won't. You'll only see the. You'll have to get a bloody stool, Struth. Oh, no. oh, she's shaking <laughs> the table. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation, and needs.